you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. Joel, I'm so glad to talk to you this afternoon, although so sad about the reasons for us talking. Or not the reasons, because we'd be talking anyway, but the circumstances that we'll be talking about anyway. Right. Uh, Our national capital, just an hour and a half from where I live and serve, was invaded by citizens. They busted through barricades, pushed back police, broke windows, got into Senate and House chambers and offices, all because they believe conspiracy theories are true and because they were encouraged by leaders to go and fight and take it back. Right. And I want to say right off the bat that I, th- I think we're both very keenly aware that we could probably talk about this for hours and and we're not going to. <laughs> and this is also not a political pundit podcast. There's wonderful places to go for that. I am by no means an expert on constitutional law nor election law. But I think that this brings to bear some serious issues in America that that we deal with in our congregations and in our religions. And I think that's how we want to approach this today. A reporter was interviewing one of the people who were in the crowd and supportive and uh, encouraging the the invasion, and he called it spiritual warfare. He said, we are here fighting for good against evil. And what is going on in there and what has gone on in our elections, he called it spiritual evil. And he called their assemblage and their push into the, the state house and the capitol he called that good, and I, uh, it, it shocks me how people can say a lie is good and truth is evil. And that, that's the part that pains me so much as well. It, it's not the disagreement over immigration or who belongs in this country and who doesn't. It's not the horrible way that COVID has been handled and the vaccines have been rolled out or not rolled out as the case may be. It's, it's more fundamental than that. It's, it's more banal than that. It's the denial of truth. And, and I'm using your words as you wrote so powerfully and we, we should put an article uh, in, in our show notes uh, on your blog on how, your prayer for this new year is a prayer for truth. And um, I, I, th- I think it's such an interesting value to, up, to hold high as opposed to compassion or love or justice because – and this is what Judaism would say – is without truth, those all crumble. That truth is the underlying firmament – that everything else depends on. And, um, you know, I, I would love you to go into your, your thoughts a little bit. I, I'll just say very briefly, there's this beautiful story in Judaism. Uh, it's called a Midrash. It's a story that's not in the Bible, not in the Torah, not in any of our prayers. Uh, that's what a Midrash is. And it, it has God arguing with the angels about whether or not humans should even be created. And all the angels have an attribute that's associated with it. So, for example, the angel of justice, and I'm paraphrasing this here, but the angel of justice says you should create human beings because they'll be just. And then, you know, the the angel of kindness says you shouldn't because they'll be unkind to one another. And finally, the angel of truth says you should not create human beings because they will lie. And God, in this profoundly, in some ways disturbing and in other ways inspiring uh, end to the story, hurdles truth to the ground of the earth and says, from this, humanity shall sprout forth. 
I've never thought of truth as God's seed of us, but I love it and wish it were true. <laughs> exactly. In our denomination, and again, this isn't scriptural, right? But the way Presbyterians do church, we have some other documents and things that we lift up. And we have what are called the six great ends, purposes of being church. And one of those is preservation of the truth. Uh, now, when we say that, we sometimes mean not, not just people assume we mean the truth about God or theological truths, but it, it doesn't mean that. It means anything that is true, because we perceive the opposite of truth as being damaging, sinful, and destroying all good relationships between human and human and human and God. The other thing that we say is, and this one's kind of hard to believe uh, or hard to express because it's in 1700s language, that no opinion can either be more pernicious or more absurd than what brings truth and falsehood level and represents it as of no consequence what a person's opinions are about true or falsehoods. Like nothing can be more pernicious than to pretend your opinion about a true or false statement doesn't have consequence. Believing a lie, saying one, repeating one, ignoring one, that has consequences on you as a person, on everybody in your community, and it ripples out throughout the country and beyond. Lies are the core, almost, of all other sinfulness or sinful actions that we can imagine. And in um, in Judaism, uh, well, this, this is in, in Christianity, too, in as much as the Torah is a part of uh, the foundation of Christ Christianity. When God passes before Moses, Moses says uh, a line, and it's now become known as the attributes of God, the 13 attributes of God. God, all merciful, slow to anger, easy to forgive, and truth is the middle of them. It's either number six or number seven. I'm not remembering right now. Um, and it, it, our tradition states that truth is God's seal. And, I, you know, I think of, you know, a show like Game of Thrones or something where the king signs the letter and it's got the fancy, you know, the crest and the seal that that is what God is known by is truth. And, and I'll repeat what I said earlier, not kindness, not love, not justice. Although those are certainly important aspects that we aspire to God and for ourselves, but that ultimately it is truth that is the most important. And to me, and I stayed up way later than I should have last night uh, <laughs> watching the senators reconvene mm -hmm. um, after the horrible incident, and Mitt Romney said, the best way we can show respect for the voters who have lost is to tell them the truth. I love and that's that. coming from someone who lost a presidential election by a slim margin, so certainly slimmer than uh, this past presidential election. And it, it's not about, as he said, who you want to be in the White House or what your pr political uh, uh, proclivities might be. It's about were our laws followed? Is there any evidence that they weren't? And there's not. So I, I, I really appreciated that very particular thought from Senator Romney. Yes, yeah, I, I did too. To hear him say that boldly, and he was, he was angry. He was upset, uh, as he should be. Right, his life was threatened as they charged in. And there was another part of that, though. It, it, I think you put, lifted up the quote that we, will be remembered. But I, he also expressed like the inability of a congressional investigation to convince the people who already believe the untruth. There's no amount of congressional investigation into truth that is going to pull them out of their disillusionment and their 
their self-delusion. All they can do, they don't need to investigate it to find the truth. They just need to say it. They already know the truth. They just need to speak it over and over again. And what I wished he had done at that point is to lift up a call for repentance from those who have for months or years been repeating untruths. Uh, That history now, history of repeating lies or defending those who lie or uh, just justifying the lie is not as bad as it sounds. I'm sure it it wasn't meant like that. It was just a joke. Those lies, every single one of them stack up and have consequences and ripple effects throughout the country, the communities, the culture. And what we saw yesterday is a result of a tidal wave of lies that have built up over time and then crashed right through the front doors of our capital. I wish truth would have the the strength now to resist and people would find once again embarrassment for lying and people would not accept hearing others repeat lies or be silent in the presence of a lie. I literally cannot agree with you more. <laughs> um, I, I, I was talking with a, a friend earlier today about the Colbert's reaction last night, um, which is, you know, everyone's saying, can you believe what happened yesterday? It's unbelievable. You know, that adjective comes up a lot. It's completely believable because this did not happen in a vacuum. It was invited. It was incited for. And the fact that it took this for some lawmakers to to see the light is the wrong expression, although this is a religious podcast, but to, to kind of come around and say, you know what? Biden won the election. I'm not happy that he won, but he did win and we need to certify it and we need to preserve democracy is a sad state of affairs that it comes to that. I, I likened it and to kind of hitting rock bottom where, you know, one doesn't know that they need to change until they've really gotten to that point. And, and to some extent, I think that we as a country have hit rock bottom, that it took violence and some people being killed. To, to hopefully bring us around, not about the election. It has nothing to do with the election. It has to do with being comfortable with having realities exist that you are not happy with. And, you know, the, the, I think the Gore Bush election is a wonderful counterpoint to this where he lost. It was by a few hundred votes, right? Mm-hmm. In, in my, wonderful home state of Florida, (laughs) and uh, for the good of the country, Gore conceded the election. Yesterday was civil war, and I continue to be shocked that the government's response was so meek to it. Having seen the government respond so aggressively and so violently to some groups who gather and march in a street or who kneel between the president and the church he wants to pray at, they get tear gassed, they get moved. I am so confused in this world of postmodern world where truth doesn't seem to matter anymore. Um, hypocrisy is being justified. Um, and hypocrites was one of Jesus's favorite words. <laughs> he used it all the time to call us out for our words and our actions being out of, out of step. Yeah. And there's this um, comparison made in Judaism to uh, the inside of an ark in a synagogue that it's supposed to be not, I'm sorry, not in a synagogue, in the temple um, when the temple existed, you know, like the ark from Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's how everyone knows the ark, right? That the inside of it is to be inlaid with pure gold. And there's the question, 
Well, no one sees the inside of it except one person once a year. Namely, the high priest on Yom Kippur opens it and sees it, the Holy of Holies. Uh, again, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you, right. you, you know how that story ends. And so the question is, well, why why kind of waste those resources for the inside? And there's this, again, Midrash that, that says it reminds us that the the, the insides of things have to be as beautiful as the outside. Our words and our actions need to match. Our values and our actions need to match. And again, not only when it's convenient, because then it doesn't matter. It's actually only when it's convenient is that a litmus test. Yes, only, sorry, I'm only lo- when it's inconvenient. Okay, there it is. I got you. That That helps. Right. There are several times where where Jesus is sitting with crowds or with other leaders or even with his own disciples. And his, the gist of his message is, I know what's inside of you by what comes out of you. Don't interpret the law by what you put into you. Interpret your obedience to the law by what we all see coming out of you in your words and your actions. They were mad at him because he was eating a certain food or eating with certain people. And he resisted that. And what we saw come out of people yesterday was well beyond the expression of constitutional appreciation or love of country or patriotism. Now it's being defended as First Amendment right of free speech. First Amendments do not include the ability to press police, to knock over barricades, to break glass, and to break into the the House uh, or Senate offices or chambers. None of that is protected by free speech. And nor is, because I, I see this a lot, as I'm sure you do, when when a social media network will, will uh, ban someone or will delete something, uh, you know, President Trump... Twitter account was blocked for 12 hours yesterday, and I saw some things about free speech. Free speech is being legally allowed to say something. It doesn't mean you have a right to a platform to say something. If someone is racist, I'm not going to invite them to the BEMA in my congregation to let them speak. That's not a violation of free speech. That's what we're allowed to do as owners of a building and a congregation. And I mean, that that just makes me crazy that people can conflate those things. And I'm okay if somebody says, hey, protect my freedom of speech. What I want them to realize is, from a religious point of view, speech has consequences. And you are free to say those thoughts and feelings. In fact, I want you to, because when you do speak, I'll get to know you a little better. And I'll get to know your true heart and head. So please do speak, but don't assume that you are free from the consequences of your speech. Your speech will cause pain or comfort. It will create joy. It will bring truth or it will bring lies and deceit and destruction. The, the chaplain prayed today in the House and Senate. And he said, our tongue is the device that, I don't remember, I'm paraphrasing here, our tongue is what can kill. Yes, it's it's so important that people realize that um, how much speech matters. And in fact, I, I think about that, not with regard to the throng of rioters, but with President Trump. I mean, President Trump used speech deliberately to incite people. And this isn't about partisanship of liking or disliking President Trump. I, I sat down uh, with, with myself and I, I had a heart to heart with myself that if President Obama did something similar in his presidency, how would I feel? And 100% would feel exactly the same way. This is not about who I want in the White House. Nice. There's something else about religion that I think people get confused here is people always talk about a separation of church and state. 
And they'll use that to mean folks like you and me, (laughs) clergy, should not be talking about politics. And out the other side of their mouth, they will remind everybody else of freedom of speech. So it's hard for me to sit there with somebody who's been raised in a culture where the polite conversation is you don't talk about religion and politics. And if you're religious, you definitely don't talk about politics. But people now use religion to support very strong political opinions. And what I try to remind people is, from a religious point of view, when our country designed separation of church and state, they did not mean religion stay out of state. They meant state stay away from religion and religion help hold state accountable to its ideals and its values. So as a clergy person, I take it upon myself to hold the state and all citizens of the state accountable to the highest ideals of our country as my faith practices see it. Uh, and what I find is our, our country is using patriotism as their new religion and demoting the higher ideals of faith that you and I try to teach and support and live and honor and remember. And I was actually thinking of something you mentioned. It may have been our first episode when you talked about, you know, people crowbarring each other and you mentioned, you know, Jesus didn't around, go around crowbarring people. And to me, that's what the American flag has become. It's become this litmus test of, are you a patriot? I mean, all, all, so many of the pictures we saw of these violent individuals sitting in, in senators and Congress, uh, men and women's offices had the American flag as if to say this, you know, we're the, we're the true Americans. We're patriots. And the, the, the flag is not a, a proof of, of that. It, it, in fact, it's the opposite. The flag is representative of peaceful protest. I am aware how angry I am and how sad I am. I am aware of my rabid frustration with the injustices of all this. And I'm trying to hold myself back enough to sound like the person I want to sound like, that I want to become. But I am mad and scared and frustrated and i i hope that there is a path from something like this to a, a preservation of the truth and an honoring of the truth and a respect for the truth no matter who gives it no matter what side it lifts up but i am not sure of that right now i am concerned that for a while Truth will stay over in a little side corner to be shooed away and scoffed at if it disagrees with my personal preferences and lies that agree and support my personal preferences will be launched and Facebooked and tweeted and spread (laughs) virally everywhere on private little spaces where people can hear what they want to hear instead of hear the inconvenient truth that we should all want uh, more than the convenient lies. And you just said something that I I wanted to touch on um, with regard to kind of feeling one way but wanting to be another way. And and that's with regard to what many senators and uh, President-elect Biden himself said last night, which was that this is not who we are. That line – came out a lot yesterday. You know, this isn't who America is. And in some ways, it it is. I mean, it, if, if that wasn't true, this w- wouldn't have happened to one degree. Um, you know, I think what Biden meant, which I certainly stand by, is this isn't the this isn't the values upon which America was founded. This isn't what we want America to be. Certainly, I think he was saying, this is not the America I want to be the president of. Um, but that disconnect between who we are and who we profess that we are 
is a large gap and lar- larger than it should be. And I think we all have to take a hard look at ourselves. Not, And I think it's it's easy in some ways for us as people who were against this and would never do something like this in terms of, you know, storming a Capitol building and pushing a police officers out of the way. I mean, I, never, never. Um, but that doesn't mean we don't have a part to play in terms of promoting anti-racism and uh, the, the values of learning from one another and having discourse with those whose opinions are different from us that can have a conversation about truth. And that's something that I think is really important is let's not be so zealous about saying they are awful. We all have work to do. Oh, I, I'm grateful that you turned us in that direction. I kept imagining yesterday that some of those angry men uh, charging through the barricades. There was a time when they were younger. They did not have a worldview, but they were developing it. And they listened to adults say things. And and those adults put some ideas in their head and then they got a little older and some of their friends said something and nobody resisted it there. And then they got a little older and they got some more weird ideas in their head. And then they went on YouTube and got sucked down the the rabbit hole into Wonderland where they believed crazy things. But nobody resisted that. And there was no there was no anchor behind them. There was nobody with a safety net under them as they fell to catch them before they went too far. Their their presence on the steps yesterday, we're all responsible for that in some way. It's not about mm. them. It's about all of us because we saw that kid, that teenager, that young adult saying things and doing things that were off, that were not in resonance with truth and wholeness and goodness and peace. And we didn't do anything. We didn't, we didn't ask them about it. We didn't offer them an, a suggestion, a, a different version of it. And we didn't invite them to, to see it in a way that would bring them wholeness and happiness. We just, we just let them go. And when they went all the way to the Capitol steps, yeah, it's on them. They made that decision. And the rest of us made a bunch, thousands of tiny little decisions that either encouraged it or silently allowed it. And it's on all of us now. Yeah. There was one one other thing I was thinking about. Um, There's this beautiful story in the in the Tom excuse me, in the Talmud, where there's an argument about whether or not an oven is kosher or not. And what's fascinating about the argument is that in the end, it's not about whether or not the oven is kosher. It's about the how the argument is presented. And I'm going to try and uh, d- dilute what I could talk about for a one-hour class, right? It, it, this incredibly powerful story into three minutes, which is that one rabbi – is arguing a point and all the other rabbis are against him. All the other ones. So it, I am making a metaphor here, right? So one person is inciting untruths and bringing up lies and, and many other people are not. And the rabbi starts appealing to other things to prove him right. So he, so he says, if, if I'm right, this river will flow backwards and the river actually does flow backwards. The punchline to the story, and then I have to reverse it. The punchline is, if I'm right, I'm so sure that I'm right, let God's voice himself, he did say himself, let God's voice himself come down and say I'm right. And God's voice says, Rabbi Eliezer is right. And another rabbi stands up and essentially says to God, stay out of it. It is none of your business anymore. You gave the Torah to us. It is up to us. And the decision inclines to the majority is how one of the Hebrew phrases is written. But I want to go back because at one point, and this is 
what I have not been able to stop thinking about since yesterday. This rabbi who was so sure that he was right says, if I'm right, let the walls of this study hall fall down. And they start falling down. And then one of the other rabbis objects and then the walls stop. And, and the story tells us it's almost like a Rudyard Kipling just so story in this regard that to this day, the walls of that study hall are at a 45 degree angle out of respect for both the one rabbi and, and the others that were arguing. OK, so with that as context, what that is a symbol of is the system breaking down. It's not about what the law is or isn't or who the president is or isn't. It's about the very foundation of the system itself. And when we lose the, the grip on truth or in this case on democracy, then the walls just come tumbling down and the, the whole enterprise is, it's, it's like feathers in, in the wind. And the fact that it's in the Jewish story, the study hall that collapses, and yesterday, literally the Capitol building where laws are made, is a very powerful uh, comparison of, of what's at stake here. 45-degree walls. Maybe they should have some barricades and some broken windows at the Capitol that they never fix. And they just they just leave leaning there as a reminder that our system, which is designed to find and honor truth, and it's based off Judeo-Christian values of truth, that our system is so broken right now, we can't even dis- we can't even agree about what is and isn't true, and we don't honor it even if we find it. And that double brokenness in our system would definitely tip walls to 45 degrees or more. I'm also reminded of um, after Moses smashes the Ten Commandments, after seeing the Israelites worship the golden calf, or, of course, if you've seen um, – what's the movie, the Mel Brooks movie? History of the World Part Two, right? He has 15 commandments. Um, but after that, and God writes them again, right? Um, God tells Moses, find those broken pieces. And those broken pieces go into the ark along with these new two new tablets as a memory. And, it, and it, we, we, you can't forget that that happened. It's uh, something we often say, we have the Lord's table and we celebrate the Lord's Supper slash communion slash Eucharist, where we remember uh, a night near the end where Jesus took bread and broke it and he passes it out to the disciples and he tells them, take, eat, and whenever you do this, remember me. And people always just quickly zip by, remember. They think it's a in-your-head pull up the memory of me doing this. But it's not. His command is to put the broken pieces back together. So as you talk about including the broken pieces of the tablet in the original ark, that is more than just, oh yeah, that happened. That's also a, oh, that's also our calling and our job to embody those original commandments in our very lives now. And and Jesus, a study, a, a student of that, probably understood broken pieces being remembered, reassembled into their wholeness. That's the goal of, of all you and I do in religion. It's, it's what shalom really means when I think of it, wholeness. It, it, it's actually what it means, period. The word shalom comes from the same root of shalem. You hear the similar consonants, obviously. And shalem is completeness. Wholeness, completeness, oneness. It's where inside your head and your heart, you don't have that fight anymore from what you believe slash what you think slash what you say slash what you do. They're all in concert with one another. And it, when I see those invaders of our capital – uh, attack truth 
and defend lie, preach that their loyalty to a constitution, and then attack the constitutional house, I sense the brokenness in them, and I ache for them. I'm so frustrated by them. I can't see straight. I I want them to have a, a safe distance <laughs> from which to scream their crazy rumors. But I don't want the center of truth, which is supposed to be the Supreme Court and the State House, the People's House, to be affected by their weird yells and by their invasion. I I somehow want to give them freedom to speak way over there. <laughs> Right. Where and so the people inside that house can make good, honest, fair, just decisions for all the people, not just a decision that will satisfy some small electorate in some small corner of some weird state where they want to get reelected. I think like you, or not I think, like you, I am too angry and frustrated and sad as I'm sure. How could you be American and not be? Um, what message do you think we should be, as I'm preparing my my sermon for tomorrow night, and I'm guessing you're preparing for Sunday, what message do we tell our congregants and parishioners about this? <laughs> you're asking me? <laughs> Yeah, I need a sermon for tomorrow. <laughs> Thursday is my writing day, so it's weird. I, I started writing. I had a, a weird little board meeting this morning, so I went to that, and then I started writing, and and I realized, okay, 90% of what I've written this morning is going in the garbage because it's still too angry. But I am trying to find a path to something that begins to sound like good news. Now, Good news, the way we talk about that in the Christian space, is a weird word, euangelion. And it just, it comes from angel. You can hear it in there, euangel. And it just, it really just means message. But we always put good in front of it. And I'm using Luke chapter 3 this week, where John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, is out in the wilderness down by the river preaching to the crowds. And the first line of his sermon is, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that's coming? And their response to him is, well, then what should we do? And I thought, if I stood up in a pulpit and called my people a brood of vipers, they're not going to go, you're right, pastor, what should we do about that? <laughs> they're going to fire right. me and, and throw me out on a pit, you know, with pitchforks. Well, as I learned from your blog post, they, they won't fire you. Right. But... <laughs> but how do we, I think there has to be some way that we recognize repentance is is a difficult place to arrive at where we have to accept the falsehoods and the complicity in the falsehoods that we've supported. And we have to commit to hold each other accountable and ourselves accountable to truth. I'm, I'm, I have a feeling my sermon's going to end up there somehow. Um, John the Baptist, of course, gets arrested for telling the truth. And he gets arrested by the political leader because the political leader doesn't want truth. He wants power, and he can best hold power if he silences voices of truth and lifts up voices that support him. So Herod puts John the Baptist in jail and eventually beheads him. Jesus didn't care about going to jail or suffering for truth. He just kept saying it. And I fear that you and I as clergy, have an equal responsibility to speak the hard truth, even if our folks don't necessarily want to hear it. Yeah, totally agree. I One thing, it, it, it sounds, um, it, this might sound pithy at first, and I certainly don't mean it as such, is 
this coming Shabbat tomorrow night is the, the 10th anniversary of what we call the yard site, the anniversary of someone's death. And, and her name was Debbie Friedman. She was a uh, musical song leader, like the kind of person you'd see at a camp strumming a guitar and just singing along. And, and she wrote hundreds of songs that I would say any Jewish person that went to summer camp or went to religious school somewhere, um, certainly in a reform or conservative congregation, possibly also Orthodox, knows some of her songs. And she wasn't a cantor. She, she was certainly Jewishly educated, but, um, not formally, you know, with a degree or anything, but she, she was an inspiration to many. Many people started playing guitar because of her. Needless to say, Tomorrow night, our, we have a cantorial soloist in our congregation, and she's put together so, uh, songs written by Debbie Friedman as a way to uh, pay honor and tribute to her. And I was planning on giving a sermon about her contribution to Judaism and, and Jewish learning, and I can't do that. And I'm angry about that, which I which is a little bit of a meta comment. Um but I, I'm angry that I have to give sermons on this type of stuff every few weeks or every few months, whether it's uh, Black Lives Matter. By the way, just to be clear, not angry that I have to talk about Black Lives Matter because I'm fu- fully with the movement, but angry about the the circumstances that cause that to be an issue. Good clarification. Just to be clear. Yes. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um or shootings, or gun control. I mean, these are things that we should not be having to give sermons about, right? Um, just kind of speaking personally, and I'm, I, I'm sure you feel the same way just from talking to you, is it, it just personally speaking, thinking about this and go, writing a sermon and editing it and sending it to someone else. Is this the right paragraph here? Is this the right paragraph here? When we're talking about such large pain in our country, it takes a toll. Mm-hmm. Surely you'll have a, a place where you'll have to address these happenings in in your Friday sermon, but it, surely at some point you'll go, you know what I should have been able to talk about today? I should have been able to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of Debbie Friedman, and but this thing gets in the way. So I, I just want to read the lyrics from one of her songs. And y'all listen to this. You might remember it. And you read the lyric and say, she knew this problem. When she sat yeah. down to write these songs, there were things happening in her world. And she found a song to sing anyway. Almost the song was an act of truth telling. It was an act of resistance at the same time. And it was an act of encouragement, hope, hope giving. Uh, so that's the hard part for me. I struggle finding ways because people don't often find hope in truth. Truth hurts. Hmm. So if you want to tell somebody the truth and give them hope, that's really more dependent on them than it is on you and me. But the calling is always both. I can never not speak truth up there. And I, the truth always points towards hope. So I, I will sometimes have somebody ask me, well, should we tell or should we just keep that secret? Or I don't know if I want to share that with my husband or my wife just yet. Or And I'm like, gosh, I, my pastoral advice to you is tell the truth. I, It's going to be hard. You're right. It is going to hurt that you made a bad choice and it's really going to hurt. But I just advise you, you know, in all humility and honesty confess what what happened and see if you can if your relationship can grow beyond it otherwise your relationship from here forward is built on a non-truth and it will always be scarred and unhealthy if you can't get it back to a truthful foundation right i'm glad you said that second part because what i think sometimes happens is people base whether they should have told the truth or not on a hindsight of how the person reacts afterwards. And that that is not the way to do it. Because just as you said, it's the precursor that is the foundation for that. And if it's on a shaky foundation, again, just like the Talmud story, just like what we're talking about, it's, 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 it's nothing. It's, uh, I'm, I'm waving my fingers. It's, you know, like, give me an analogy here. <laughs> it's just wispy air, right? Wispy air. Perfect. Perfect. 
preachers have that same issue, right? We we tell the truth and our people respond negatively sometimes so that they are training us not to tell them the truth. And if we aren't thick-skinned and well-centered, preachers can get in the habit of telling the people what they would rather hear as opposed to telling them the truth. And that's a dangerous place for a preacher. You will, a clergy person, you will end up as a broken soul. uh, And you you have to keep that center, tell the truth, and be prepared for the awkward responses that your people may give to you sometimes. And and be humble enough to realize that your interpretation of the truth isn't going to be perfect. So That's what I was – you got to leave yeah, room for them to correct you, right? And differentiate: is their cri- criticism a real mistake I made? If so, I need to switch and change and adjust to them. Or is it their rejection of a truth that is honestly hard to hear? And frankly, we can fall into the same trap. Certainly, not to the the degree that the president did of wanting something to be truth and and preaching it as such, but maybe we're caught up in our own wishes and our own self-interest. And I I think that that's where, you know, you mentioned humility. For me, that's where the humility comes in also is, do I, is it, is this simply a case of how I wished my congregation was? Or, or do I really think that objectively, as objectively as possible, this needs to be said? Um, but always it's, it's, it's the, it's the, Comfort and the discomfort. It's it, all of it. You did say a line, Joel. I want to, I wanted to write it down both for myself, but I think people listening, something I, I don't want to, uh, if this isn't what you said, that people don't want the truth. They want hope. Is that, is that what you said? Just that it's, call? it's hard, right? Cause it's hard to say the truth and give them hope at the same time. That's what it was. That's right. Right. Because truth sometimes hurts and it, it feels like you're going backwards. Oh, no, I have such work to do. All this other stuff behind me where I was deceived or self-deceived and now I've seen truth and it feels like I have to go backwards to unravel it. That doesn't feel hopeful. Uh, and- but but that's based off of an assumption that where you are is good and healthy and, and on path. The, the reality of that is you were headed away from hope all along. Truth turned you back towards hope, but that turn is so radical and so, I don't know, dizzying and disorienting that it feels like it's not pointed towards hope. It feels like it's pointed to chaos and how to reinterpret that feeling of when truth disorients us, there it should take our breath away. It should put us to our knees. We, we should say, I'm, oh, I'm so sorry to whoever we hurt in that um, in that following of an untruth, but feel the fresh air in our lungs and on our face because we are finally headed towards something beautiful again instead of down a random road to who knows what. And, and for me, the, the, the key phrase of that is on path because in Judaism, and we mentioned this, I think, on a previous show, halakha, the 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 laws that we have, the system of actions and mitzvot, the the laws in the Torah are called the path. And it's kind of the idea, are we getting closer away or are we further away? It's not whether you're, you're never there. It's, it's like other things. It's the journey, but is your journey taking you closer? Mm -hmm. And every action we do, no one is 100% one way or the other way. Like, you know, this morning I lost my temper a little bit with my wife. That took me further away. But by apologizing and then maybe, you know, doing something nice later on that – but no one is there or not there. It is is consistently the struggle uh, on the path. And I I think – I I do think – regardless of what anyone's religion is, is to dig into what your tradition says about saying the truth, living the truth. Um, And I I think for me, there is some hope there because I am not powerless. I certainly am not 
in control of the Capitol building and the security there or tweets by the president, but I am in control of what I say. I'm in control of what I do. I'm in control of who and where I give money to and how much money to give them. Um, and so I'm thinking of ways to support things in my own community, such as Black Lives Matter and the Anti-Defamation League and um, – Oh my goodness, my mind just went blank. What's the ACLU? organization? Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Thank you. Um, so I, I, in that sense, that does give me hope because n- none of us are are powerless. You know, that's what got Jesus killed. Uh, he was sitting around all the other rabbis and they were talking about the path, right? And by that, they meant the Torah, the scripture, the commandments, you know, the stuff we've been yep. trying to walk. All, none of us can walk it, but we try to walk it and we hold each other accountable to it. And we pull each other back towards it. And he says, you know, Christians repeat this all the time, like it doesn't mean very much. I am the way. I, I am the truth. I am the life. And he says that out loud to these religious folk who've had a definition of path as stuff and and he says i'm i'm that stuff um and they've had debates about what is true and he says i'm that truth that's why they killed him right that's yeah whoa right but if we christians are going to to take him that seriously then we have to let go of our miniature versions of truth and our miniature preferences of the right ways to govern and the right way to live life. Um, We have to say to him, oh my gosh, I'll never walk like you walked, talk like you talked, live the life you lived, but I'm going to do my best to put my feet in your big old footsteps and walk behind you at some distance at a slower pace and that's going to be the way that I talk truth, and that's going to be the way I live life. But I find tons of Christians, and I find it in myself, where I chicken out, and the truth hurts so much, and a life like that is seem seems so hard. But it's it's the calling. And I, this goes back to what we talked about. I want to say it was last week of. If religion is only for you, like a kind of like a self-help book, right? Or a hobby like photography or walking in nature, all wonderful things. But that is not the role of religion. The role of religion for me, and I, I certainly think for you, is for me to not only make myself better, but to make my community better or make is the wrong word, inspire my community to be better and the world to be better. And for, and I don't mean as a rabbi, I mean as a person. We all can do that. Um, and, and th- that to me is the role of religion. And that's why I, I take so seriously the concept in Judaism of a minion, which is this idea that you can only pray when you have 10 people. If you have six, you can't fully, you can pray, but you can't have a full service because th- there's something about the stability and the camaraderie and the support of a community, which is why again, and then I promise I'm done. The linking back to the story of the walls falling. If you break and don't respect the rules of the community, of how the community is organized, there might as well not be a community at all, which is the parallel of the walls falling in on the study hall. There's nothing to study. There's nothing to live by. There's no great America if we cannot, at the very least, hold our Constitution in high esteem, regardless of what that means for elections or whatever, all of it. I used to, I have three sons who are in their 20s now, and when they were young, um, say they did something they weren't supposed to do. Um, I, I used to hold my fingers up really close to one another and say, okay, you did something wrong. That's this bad. You know, and my fingers are just, 
a centimeter apart. And then I would hold my hands as far apart as I can hold them and say, but if you lie about it, it's this bad. Oh, right? that's good. Joel. So like, okay, you, you made a little mistake. No problem. But then you lied about it. And, and I tried to give them a visual representation of the power of truth in that moment. Okay. You, you messed up. And we read books about you admit it. You say, I'm sorry. You, you try to make it better. You try to do something to repair it. And now they're in their twenties and they look at our broken country and, and they're really impatient with it not getting better faster. And what I'm trying to remind them is what you said. Okay. Our country's broken. There's broken pieces in there and there's some good pieces and you're a part of it. You have to honor the way we make change. And that means you've got to get other people with you and they've got to, y'all got to hash it out together and you got to go through the process and then the change happens. And that's really hard and it is much slower than you want. But without doing it together, the change is meaningless and we don't actually find truth. I, there's a term I can't stand lately and it's my truth. Um, <laughs> oh, I just can't stand it. Safe. Wait, I'm not, I'm not feeling safe right now, Joel. Let me. <laughs> oh, I, like it, what I want to say is your experience, right? Your, your history, your context, right. your, all of those. Yes. Defend those as an individual defend them, but don't lump truth in there as personally defendable. The only, only God can say my truth is true. No one else's truth is true. All of the rest of us need each other to even point toward God's truth. We got to hold each other accountable and remind each other of what we've forgotten. Um, so my truth, uh, uh-uh, I don't, I don't play that phrase anymore. <laughs> yeah, do, do when people say that, do you, do you say what you just said? The I will say, do you mean like your experience? Do you mean your memory? Do, do you mean, you know, yeah. the way your parents raised you? What do you mean by that? And I'll just ask them. Um, it, it's out there, right? It's a Twitter sphere. It's a memeable. It's a hashtag. I'm sure, but I. I don't fuss at them, but but now that now that I've said it out loud in the podcast, people probably won't say it to me anymore. But I, <laughs> but I just can't stand that line. It's it's interesting. This may be slightly off topic, but uh, I have a weekly happy hour with my congregants on, on Wednesdays at five. We call it CCI five one one five o'clock. One word of Torah, and if you want, one beverage of choice. I love whatever it. Whatever it is. Do you use Roman numerals V I I? Oh no, I just write five one one V I I is classier. Because if I you like did C C I V I I, it would look like <gasps> one big Roman numeral. Oh, always the uh, designer, Joel. I love it. I love it. Um, and yesterday, you know, all of our minds were on this, so I didn't. E- I didn't even prepare kind of the word of Torah like I normally do. And one thing we were talking about is the issue that so many people have, which is, you know, it's so hard to talk to family members, good friends who are on the other side of the political spectrum, and we don't talk about it. And I asked the question, and it is a genuine question, without judgment either way. Is is it better? To kind of have that person in your life and agree not to talk about it so you can have good conversations about movies and books and, you know, what music you're listening to? Or is it better to talk about it but then constantly be at each other's throats and possibly angry? And I do not have an answer for that. Um, but but it – How do you practice it? Because your practice of that is your answer. Oh, uh, that – yeah. Yeah, it just uh. – I know how I practice that. If the person cannot talk about it, if I find somebody who just can't have the conversation, then they're still in my life. They're still an acquaintance. They're somebody I can bump into and small talk with. But their their distance from my core center of relationship is farther. And... If I find somebody, even if it's confrontational, every time we talk about it, but we hold on to one another and keep trying 
to hear the other person and see the other person and understand the other person. As long as they're asking questions of me as often as I ask of them, as long as they give me something new as, as I'm trying to give them something new, I can do that forever with anybody on the planet. But if, if somebody won't talk about it with me, won't ask a question, I find that I'm, I need people in my life who are willing to push back and challenge and ask and grow. Oh, 100%. And and they're the ones that make my life whole. Of course, as I'm agreeing with you, maybe I should say no, no, let me push back on that, Joel. So in the first century, there were these two rabbis, Hillel and Shammai, and they were two very well-respected rabbis. You've probably heard of them or studied them at some point. Um, And the law always goes according to Rabbi Hillel, except in some rare cases. And it's not because Hillel was smarter or understood Jewish law better. The reason is actually because Hillel was what we call a mensch. Hillel was nice. And one thing Hillel did as a teacher is he would teach his students the opposing viewpoint, not in order to knock it down like in a straw man argument, but truly for the point of education. We have in Judaism what's known of an, uh, as an argument, Bashem Shemaim, in the name of heaven. Not in the name of me being right, but in the name of heaven, which goes, I think, to what you were talking about as God's truth. Anyway, that's actually not the story. Uh, they were arguing about something as they always did. And God's voice, this is in the Talmud, God's voice comes down from the heavens, which as an aside in the Talmud is actually very rare. 99% of the Talmud, if not more, is a recollection of people's conversations about God. God doesn't actually appear as a character, right? But here God appears as a character and says this beautiful line. I'm going to say it in Hebrew. Elu ve'elu divrei Elohim. These and these are the words of God. Meaning, Hillel, your opinion reflects the word of God as a person of faith and integrity. And Shammai, so do yours. But that's not where it ends. It says, He's, God says, these and these are the words of the living God, but the law goes according to Hillel. Which, and from what I take from that is that it, this is that whole my truth, my, I'm entitled to my opinion. You are entitled to your opinion, but that doesn't mean that everyone's going to live by it. That there is a way that we are going to live by. You don't have to agree with it, but it's going to be the way. And that's decided by democracy. That's decided by law. That's decided by God. Um, and that idea that we can respect an opinion that doesn't fall in line with that, but that ultimately we do have to live according to a certain rule is particularly resonant for me today. I love that. Um, we were talking earlier about the Presbyterian foundations, right? Preservation of the truth and truth in order to goodness and all that. Another one is that something like this, and there, it's a paradox. And oddly enough, we okay. Now you've got me connected. Holy crap! <laughs> <laughs> we might still be going on I when I do deliver my sermon. I'll just do it on the podcast. So yesterday is uh, January sixth, which is the twelfth day, right from Christmas. So it's Epiphany, and it's when the star appeared over the manger, and the wise ones traveled under the star to find baby Jesus, and then they go home by another way. So what we do is we hand out star words. We give everybody a star. And we write on the back of that a word, and that's their word for the year. And the idea is, um, if you get lost, right, just pull out your star and meditate on that word and see what it's doing to guide you does each, home. I'm sorry to interrupt. Does each person get a different word? Yeah. Yeah, they're all different kinds of words. Wacky words, you know, okay. who knows what. Some people get seed and other people get grow and other people get give or serve. And mine was paradox. How on the – I got paradox. So the reason I say that is in our foundational documents is this paradox that God is the Lord of the conscience and leaves it free from any doctrine or commandment of other people so that a person can hear and follow God's word on any matter of faith or worship. And in perfect consistency is the phrase that we use with that principle Every community, every church, 
every community or congregation or, or groups of churches can declare the terms of their communion. So, yes, <laughs> you can have a conscience about how you want faith and worship to be, but when we are together, we do it this way. And the the discipline of that is for you to remember your loyalty and commitment to the greater good is a little more important than your personal freedom. And if you want to exercise personal freedom, you may, you just lose the benefits of community in doing so. Mm. And to watch the the guys and some gals storm the Capitol in the name of freedom, what they don't realize is they are severing the very community they claim to be protecting. Oh, Joel, if you if we had a video feed, you could all see Joel's star that says paradox. So I have another question. I have a question about not obviously edited out. We're just talking now, yep. but these these words. So are they random or are they meant for you? Like, does someone say I am giving Joel Tolbert paradox? Random. They're, you put them face down all over the place, and there are Got a bunch it. of different colors, and some are glittery and some are dull, and right. But but people just kind of look and look, and then they they pick one up and they say, "Oh, rats! I got generosity." Hey. Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert, and on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the Real Religion fans out there, we thank you for being with us today and invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to realreligionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real. <laughs>